Welcome to the new Cyber Frontier, bringing you the latest news and initiatives that focus on the development of cybersecurity economics. You don't have to be a computer or cybersecurity expert to get plugged in. Your host brings it straightforward, asks the tough questions, and brings the cyber world to a level of understanding for everyone. You can find us on the web at www.newcyberfrontier.com. Now join our host as he introduces the topic for today's New Cyber Frontier. All right. Hello, everybody. This is a new edition to Cyber, New Cyber Frontier. Um, and today on, I'm your host, Timothy Montgomery. Um, and with us today is Amit Sipper. Sipper? Sipper. S-E-R-P-E-R. See, I thought I messed it up. <laughs> I always seem to do that myself. Gotcha. Okay, so Amit, you... Um, we're going to be discussing some cybersecurity research. I think that's that's really what we're always interested in anything that any facet in cybersecurity on this uh, show, and our listeners usually just gobble it up. And so we get a lot of interesting people coming across and done a lot of interesting interviews. So you're going to be added to the group there, and um, so have some tremendous fun. So let me let me activate my little timer so we don't get carried away in conversation and I have to put the pauses in there. So, so Amit, um, tell me a little bit about yourself. What, is, what are you doing these days and where's your background at? So as you can tell by my name and perhaps a little bit from um, my accent, I am originally from uh, from Israel. Uh, I've been living in I've, I've been living in the States for uh, the past six and a half years now okay. um, with my uh, with my wife and uh, now my uh, little baby daughter. Awesome. Um, uh, I'm based uh, right outside of Boston in the suburbs. Uh, it's, it's nice. There's uh, interesting, uh, interesting seasons here. There's actually four seasons, which is not what I'm used to from uh, you know living in the desert in Israel. In Israel, all right. Um, uh, I've been a security researcher for pretty much uh, for. for the majority of my, uh, or the entirety of my adult life, I'm uh, I, I turned 36 recently, and officially I've been doing it since I was uh, pretty much a teenager. But officially, yeah. my career started around the age of 19. Um, in Israel, uh, in case you don't know, uh, military service is mandatory. So um, when I was when I was drafted back in 2006, um, I, uh, I I um, I joined. Um, one of our um, intelligence agencies uh, where I worked for, uh, I, I did my military service there and then I ended up staying there as a, as a civil servant. Uh, so I was there in total for nine years doing all sorts of aspects of uh, security research, be it offensive or defensive research. Um, anything from building custom systems to things with satellites and uh, uh, exploit development, vulnerability research, a very diverse, uh, a very very diverse uh, career I had there, and um, sounds like my military career. <laughs> it's yeah. what they put you up to, and then they just keep adding. <laughs> yeah, I know it was a great fun, especially yeah. especially uh, you know when I was that young. Um, and when I left when I left the government, um, I joined uh, what was then a tiny tiny startup uh, called Cyber Reason. Yeah, and I, I I joined there as a senior security researcher, um, doing lots of um, um, malware analysis and reverse engineering of all sorts of um, uh, malware and, and viruses and that kind of stuff. Um, and with Cyber Reason, I actually moved 
um, to the U.S. Uh, to build out um, um, the the research uh, outfit here in in, in Boston, and um, I was at Cybreason for um, six and a half years in total. Yeah, uh, doing all sorts of stuff from um, incident response to malware analysis, and uh, if you remember, uh, not Petya, I had a I had a it's minor role. I had a minor role in in in, in yeah, finding a way to uh to uh keep it from encrypting machines all over the world. So you were one of the ones. <laughs> What's that? So you were one of the ones that stopped it. Uh yeah, according to according to the media, I was the one. <laughs> oh, um, better. Yeah, and um after that after Cyberies and I joined another um startup called Gardecore, uh where I was um. Uh, I was running the security research outfit here in North America. Later, Gardecore was acquired by Akamai, which is a gigantic uh, company. So I stayed there for a few months, and then I joined. Uh, and then I joined Sternum, which is where I'm at now, um, uh, doing a lot of uh, security research um, and on 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 IoT devices, which is uh, what Sternum uh, protects. So Sternum is an Israeli company, but I'm here in Boston representing. Awesome. So your decision to, to go with Sternum, was there any particular reasons? I mean, was that, uh, was that the next eventual step in evolution there for you, for your career paths? Or did you just kind of, you know, people or how did you get with them? So it, it's, um, it's, uh, there's multiple reasons. First of all, um, pretty much since I left the government, um, I was mainly involved with malware research and yeah. and and researching um, um, attacks on large organizations and uh, complex um, attacks like nation state attacks and, and those sorts of things. And uh, I wanted to go a little bit back towards the world of vulnerability research and um, IoT, the, the IoT field, it's something that I really like because um, it's, it's a lot of... Um, it's a lot of really tiny computers that are doing a lot of things and um, they are embedded, no pun intended, um, in, in throughout a lot of things in, in our lives. I mean, it could be whatever that's powering, um, you know, the um, the power meter that the power company puts in her house. It could be the router that enables you and I to have this conversation. Um, th there's, there's many things, many things in our lives have computer nowadays yeah, and in most cases, their security is pretty much trash. <laughs> yeah, you can say that. There's very yeah. minimal recommendations to harden anything. Exactly, days. and nice, nice. there's there's lots of vulnerabilities and 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 lots of issues. And um, while you know, if if you look at the um, if you look at the endpoint at the EDR market at the endpoint detection and response market you have a lot of companies that are pretty much all making the same products. It's, you know, all of the EDR companies, uh, legacy antivirus companies, all of those kind of things. Yeah. And it seems that the industry at large has a sort of a perception or, 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 a, or a strategy on how to uh, tackle and mitigate all of those issues when we're talking about, you know, computers and servers. Yeah. Um, but with, with, Regards to the IoT field, there's no real, um, there's no real standard. There's no real um, uh, catch-all approach uh, to mitigate threats and, and and vulnerabilities. 
And I also really like working for small startups. And when the opportunity, uh, when I was met with the opportunity um, to, to, you know, to, to, to join a startup after the startup that I worked for got acquired by a giant company. Sure. I, I, I talked to a few people from, from Sternum. I talked to our CEO. I talked to our, our CTO and, 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 and a few other people from the company. And I was really impressed with both the product and the approach to how to solve this problem, how to solve those problems. And I was like, I should probably give it a go. I should probably try. I should probably join. And um, I think it was uh, 46 hours since my uh, first conversation with Sternum. Uh, I, I, uh, I had a signed offer letter uh, to present them with and I, and I joined and uh, it's, it's, it's a great place. Awesome. Awesome. Well, that being said, we're going to have to take a break. Uh, when we come back, we'll start talking about how the impact of not standardized IoT security comes about how that product for what you guys are doing is going to be can play big roles. In it. So we're going to take a pause. We'll come back right after our commercial break. Blockframe technology offers next generation blockchain managed trust and security. Unique non-fungible tokens are used to secure software bills of materials to provide data quality and security for every transaction in your supply chain. Deploy advanced peer-to-peer -peer product security, scale zero trust capability to millions of IoT devices, allow vendor tracking and accountability, and rapidly reset from compromise. Unchangeable, time-sequenced blockchain data provides next-generation security using machine learning trust algorithms and audit analytics. Start securing your supply chain today by contacting BlockFrame at www.blockframetech.com. Okay, welcome back to New Cyber Frontier. I'm your host, Tim Montgomery, and I'm speaking today with uh, Amit. He's uh, from Sternum. I got that correct, right? And um, we were talking before the uh, break there about um, <clears throat> really regulations and standards and how it came to be where he worked with Sternum uh, to kind of I guess take the products that they had and be able to, I guess, revolutionize if you want to if you want to put a word on it, really, because you think by IoT in that field doesn't really have a set standard. The stuff you were discussing there, um, and um, just how that might be uh, something that would help us understand and kind of push and drive regulations among these devices. Uh, we know in the world we live in, IoT is in everything, um, and just in the amount of things that we do converse with every day. Uh, from your car to your house to the phone you put in your pocket to um, literally walking down to the post office or a post office and getting your mail from the mailbox sometimes, um, how they how that interaction works uh, among all these different devices. So at Sturm, you would say that, uh, I mean, you guys, you're doing search, uh, security research. So what kind of security research, and as far as IoT goes, do you actually, what do you conduct? Can you give me an example of that? And then what are you using that for as far as tools, things that, that a product or something that might be able to be useful to the uh, end user, to the to the world? Sure. So at, at Sternum, um, um, when when I talk about security research, it's it's actually really interesting because it's um, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of hardware research or mm -hmm. um, hardware hacking, so to say. So I have um, you can see. I have here my workbench. I don't know how much you can see, but yeah, there's lots I, of. I think I got a couple of those toys. I got a little bit of that. Yeah, lots of equipment over there, and yeah. 
lots of devices that I uh, that I take apart and and pretty much abuse here in order to gain access into all sorts of uh, nooks and crannies that the manufacturers don't want you to get to. Um, but the the research that we do is is often we look for our approach to security at Sternum is we know that those devices are vulnerable. And there's plenty of reasons. There, there are plenty of reasons for that. It could be any anywhere from um, um, the developers who are actually writing the code on the device. Um, when they write the firmware, they don't have security in mind. Okay. Or um, the frameworks that they use are so um, ancient, for a lack of a better term, <laughs> that some of the some of the protections that you know we take for granted on our on our regular computers. Um, simply don't exist on those devices. I mean, you have today devices that you buy brand new off the shelf and they have Linux uh, kernel versions from back when I was in high school. Uh, so, and I'm, and I'm 36, so you do the math. <laughs> um, and uh, um, so a lot, of, uh, a, a lot of the research that we do is to um, understand what kind of vulnerabilities there are on, their on those devices and how... Uh, how does the exploitation of those vulnerability of those vulnerabilities look like? Mm -hmm. And then we can and then um, we can not only detect when a vulnerability is being exploited, but we can we can also mitigate that exploitation before any damage happens. And this is important because you know if if we look at at our you know regular computer, our, our desktop or our laptop, doesn't matter which operating system it runs. Let's say that we run Windows or Mac OS or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, if there is a security update, you usually get a notification and, you know, you hit a button, you click a button, and that um, that patch is being um, installed on your machine. Yeah. Sometimes you have to reboot your machine and, and, you're, and you're done with that process. Mm -hmm. And when that patch is being deployed, Usually, in like you know, the vast majority of the cases, whatever that's being, whatever is being patched or updated or upgraded or whatever you want to call it, is a small component in the operating system. It could be a simple, you know, library, a simple DLL file in Windows that's being replaced and and updated to a to a, an updated version. In the IoT world, and especially in the in the consumer in the consumer devices, and when I say consumer, you know, our home routers and those kind of things. Yeah. Um, whenever there's a patch, even if you want to update a tiny, 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 tiny thing, let's say even like one line of code mm -hmm. in, in the firmware, you end up, you end up basically replacing the entire firmware with a newer version. Yeah, and that newer version may contain one single tiny change. Yeah. Now, the problem with that is that a... People don't necessarily update their um, their IoT devices. You know, uh, uh, not many people uh, know that there is uh, a firmware update for the router, for example. The router right. could the router could be vulnerable for years, um, and they don't even know that there's an update, and they won't install that update. And that update is not going to be installed by itself. Updating an IoT device oftentimes requires the requires the user to go to the vendor's website. To download a file, to go to some. Um, sometimes you need even to use a program, a, spe a special program, or yeah, to yeah. go to a specific, you know, web page in the administration panel. Yeah, it's usually update the firmware. Yeah. Hope that everything gets patched. 
Our approach. You got the right one and don't break it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Our approach to that is we're saying you don't have to um, uh, chase patches anymore because mm -hmm. if you have our um, uh, product deployed on your IoT device, um, we are mitigating uh, memory corruption attacks, uh, command injection attacks, and all sorts of other very common um, uh, ways of, of, of exploitation on, awesome. on devices. So you could have, you know, an ancient, an ancient uh, Linux kernel running on your device and a bunch of, of really horribly uh, put together software. Mm -hmm. But if you have our agent running on your device, we are going to look at, you know, all of the memory allocations, all of uh, all of the all of the system calls to specific calls that we know that can be exploited. And we know we know um, we know what what a bad uh, what a uh, how can I say it we know what bad behavior looks like yeah process. We can, so we can stop it at that point um, so the research that we do is often um, you know we'll take a device um, I don't know like we'll take a device we'll take it apart uh, we'll do all sorts of things to it uh, we'll get access to the firmware and we'll look for vulnerabilities ourselves. Yeah. Or if there are any uh, public vulnerabilities that someone else found, um, we would we would exploit those vulnerabilities. We would do some research to to see what it looks like, what are the ramifications of those of those um, exploits, and and according to what we'll see, we'll create the algorithms and the mechanisms to mitigate those uh, uh, to mitigate those exploits, literally on runtime as they happen. Okay, so is this process done? before the product hits mainstream for production? Or is this something like retrofitted that's possible? Where, where does this, the product, the sternum idea, where does it apply to the, you're talking about core levels like assembly language and the motherboard, bios, types of things where they're analyzing performance measures, which we know that OS can, OS is, they do pull that information data. So where does this apply to it? When you do this discovery process, the research process, and then once you got that, does it do companies buy the, the the method and the research to apply it to the new product coming out, or is there something in between now? So actually, um, um, there are plenty of options. So for example, um, let's say I, I can give you several examples. Um, um, first of all, we have customers that deploy our solution as a part of their firmware when they build their firmware, right? So let's say, for example, I don't know that your um, your um, um, internet service provider will give you a, a modem or a router that you know the ones that they provide you with. Yes. And if if there are our customers, um, they will simply include our package um, as a part of uh, of building their firmware. So they'll they'll build their firmware, and part of the process would be to include Sternum inside of it. And then the product that you're going to get. You know, when you go to the store and pick up your modem, your modem will already be preloaded with our software. That is one option. Okay. Um, another option is that um, we have uh, customers from again all sorts of industry verticals, and and they can um, buy, um, let's say, a network, um, a, a NAS device, you know, to for network storage, yeah. um, and they want to protect that device. They can come to us and we will give them a package that they can deploy on their device 
simply by SSHing into that device and running a few commands and, and, and installing our um, our software. So there are there are several ways to to uh, you know we we, we market we, we sell to vendors and we sell to um, customers who use devices um, by other vendors. Okay. So um, I hope that answers small, your question. Small business market for it. So it's it's like an after aftermarket price, kind of like when you buy a car, you either have the you know tow hitch put on during the creation of the of the vehicle, or you have an option after you buy the vehicle and put it yeah. on. So you yeah, exactly. And and even um, uh, for example, if you're running a device that's based on OpenWRT, so OpenWRT is a is a Linux uh, distribution that a lot of um, uh, routers use, and a lot of embedded Linux devices are based are based on. Mm -hmm. um, so if you're running a, a device uh, that runs that runs on OpenWRT, you can actually go to our website and get um, a free version of our product that has some, you know, more limited features. But you can experiment with it. You can install it on your on your own device and and see what it looks like, and 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 get access to our um, to our uh, uh, um, uh, web application where you can see uh, uh, on our platform what's going on in your device. Were there any exploitation attempts? Uh, you can see the the processes that are running on your device. So it's almost like a small um, EDR for IoT devices. Awesome. Yeah, it's like a triage device almost. Like you can view things and bounce it off, you know, what your research establishes to see if, if there's probable vulnerabilities. So how would you know buying a product, whether this was in it or not? How can you tell? Is there a way to, to really know that or? Because most of us, I'm sure, when for we buy the consumer, products, you mean for, for a consumer? Yeah, for a consumer, when they buy a product, how do they know something like this has been added into a uh, given firmware or into um, whatever the interface is for the design of it? So, well, as far as I know, when a consumer buys an IoT device nowadays, the consumer there's very little information for the consumer to know about what's what's yeah. running on the device that they've that they've just bought, which is another problem in sure. its own. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so there is no way for you, you know, if you go now to the store and you buy a router off the shelf, unless they're trying to sell you something with that router saying, oh, you know, add $25 a month and you get this. There's no way for you to know really what's running on your device. Uh, we, 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 you know, as of now, we don't yet sell uh, 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 our... Um, our product doesn't really come bundled in with like a big uh, with a big box uh, vendor that you can know. So there's no real way for uh, you know your average consumer to know that um, their device is being protected by stern by sternum. Hopefully that'll happen one day, uh, but we are not there yet. Uh, we are we are uh, we are in business and we are selling to um, to several vendors and several companies. Um, uh, in very specific uh, uh, industry verticals, but the average consumer yet uh, doesn't have access to our um, to our platform unless, as I said, it's an uh, it's an open WRT device um, that you want to experiment with, and 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 then you can do that from our website, and and, and you can take it from there. Okay. Okay, that's interesting. We're gonna have to take a break here. So as we come back from our break, we'll discuss more. So let's take a short break. BlockFrame technology offers next generation blockchain managed trust and security. Unique non-fungible tokens are used to secure software bills of materials to provide data quality and security for every transaction in your supply chain. 
deploy advanced peer-to-peer product security, scale zero trust capability to millions of IoT devices, allow vendor tracking and accountability, and rapidly reset from compromise. Unchangeable, time-sequenced blockchain data provides next-generation security using machine learning trust algorithms and audit analytics. Start securing your supply chain today by contacting BlockFrame at www.blockframetech.com. Okay, welcome back from New Cyber Frontier. Uh, I'm your host, Tim Montgomery, and today we're talking to Matt. He's from uh, Sternum. Sternum's uh, products looks like the security research he does to apply to uh, IoT and their devices uh, among what we understand is not really a good standardized or regulated way of applying security across the board for all IoT devices. Very interesting concept behind use of that security research to apply a real world scenario, real world case, user case for protecting devices that we consider to be under the umbrella of IoT. So uh, um, I'm interested to understand a little more about it, but um, so what would you say some of the biggest changes since you started you know, doing work like this um, in the IoT world itself. I know when we first started, you would hear crazy stories about how embedded viruses uh, would trigger, um, you know, um, denial of service attacks against exchanges and things like that. So you hear this crazy Frankenstein story about how the LG refrigerators attacked Oracle and their exchange. That was crazy. So um, I'm sure we've come a little further than that today from then that was, that had to be 15 plus years ago now. So uh, unfortunately we haven't, well, uh, you're still working on it, right? No, the, the, those things still exist. And, yeah. and, you know, as I mentioned, uh, when we started the interview, the, the, the security on, on, you know, the majority of those devices is really not good. Yeah. Um, the development standards are, you know, you, you, you have, you have things that you haven't seen in, in regular computers in like 15 years. Um, those kind of attacks and vulnerabilities are still relevant to s- things you can buy at stores right now. Um, and, and, and those things, as, as, as you mentioned, they still exist. I mean, uh, you have um, all sorts of botnets that are targeting IoT devices. Um, uh, it could be uh, DDoS botnets. It could be crypto mining botnets. Um, there's tons of routers um, uh, out there in the world right now that are running all sorts of Monero, uh, Monero miners on them without yeah. uh, without the owners even knowing um and and yeah. and the it way that those robots <laughs> yeah. the, <laughs> the way that those things get to those devices is by um exploiting vulnerabilities that i honestly can't believe that they still exist and and we see those yeah. we see those things all the time in brand new devices fully patched devices i have like uh, one two three four five six devices here right now yeah. that are literally brand new that I, I go to the store and I buy them and I go home and I take them apart. Yeah. Um, exactly. and, and you just find those things. And, and, and some of the things that you find are not even exploits. Some of the things that you find are actually uh, back doors that were put there by the vendor ahead of time for whatever reason. Right. It's it normally be... a back door when, when you do development. Yeah. You're so it... supposed to remove it, but Exactly. Yeah. So it's either it's either backdoors that were forgotten or backdoors that weren't meant to be discovered. Yeah. Um, for example, um, a few years ago, uh, before even Sternum existed, um, I was doing some um, some research on a device and um, uh, that device, it was a, a router, if I recall correctly. 
And when I when I reverse engineered its firmware, I saw that it has a web page that is accessible only by um, uh, uh, typing a really, really, really long URL. Like it's not it's not something that you can find by mistake. You have to know what you're looking for. Yeah, like a, a big 200, uh, 200 character long string. And if you if you use your browser and you go to that URL on the device, um, you would just get a shell in your browser on the device where you can you know execute commands as as root on that router. Now that was a backdoor that was left there by the vendor, you know, either on purpose or not on purpose. Who knows? Um, uh, because you know most of those things are usually coming from China, and and there's plenty of. Uh, there's plenty of things that uh, that the China does, whether uh, they're uh, yeah, malice you know, stuff that seem not to be so correct, like they're doing things on purpose. But exactly. really can't tell whether it was eh, okay. I get it. No, maybe not. Type thing. They, they dance on that line, don't they? Yeah, exactly. So yeah. you have a lot of products that that have you know that have those those um those issues, and and um. You know, and, and it's it's funny. I, I always I always say that because you could have an organization and that organization could have, um, you know, firewalls and EDRs and all of the bells and whistles with regards to security. And they might be doing everything right, but their entire organization connects to the Internet with a router that costs a few bucks. And that router is riddled with vulnerabilities and backdoors. Yeah. So right. I had a switch. um it was actually a PBX switch uh, many years ago. It was made by Redcom. And Redcom, before they went to digital, they had analog switching. And um, they actually had uh, had a backdoor route. And oddly enough, the, their password was some specific root vegetable, like carrot. <laughs> That's... Uh, the only way I knew that was because the gentleman I worked with was on contract with me, but he had worked Redcom switching for 13 years and was a part of the company for a while. And he knew this to be a practice. So it was something that they did it on purpose. And there's reasons why, because, you know, when you're out there isolated and you can't get into these things and all else fails, this is going to be needed. But who would know that unless he worked for Redcom, I guess. So it's quite interesting. Yeah, I, how those things get left in place. Uh, all too. I often. have, um, I have a NAS device here. It's on the floor to the left of me. I'm not. I'm not going to name any names. Yeah. Um. And um, we installed our product on that specific NAS device, and within moments, our product found found a, a vulnerability. Um. But you could only exploit that vulnerability once you're authenticated. So we were like, oh, we wonder if we can uh, if we can turn it into like an unauthenticated vulnerability. <laughs> and when I started reverse engineering the firmware, I saw that. In the firmware, there is a function that's called enable backdoor. Yeah, <laughs> straight up. Yeah. And uh, there's a certain way. There's a, there's a certain way to trigger that backdoor. And once yeah. you trigger that, you can get it. You can gain access to the administration panel and leverage that other vulnerability and 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 have code execution as root. So those devices are riddled with those things. And yeah, what, what gives? I mean, I guess the the product, if all else fails, right? It's one of those doomsday scenarios, basically. The product fails, how else do you get into this thing? They provide some last ditch effort, and that's what it is a lot of times. Could I mean, be. Could how be. Else would you think, why would they leave it there? <laughs> Listen, I've seen some crazy things. I mean, some of those things are, are legitimate. You know, some mm -hmm. of those things, they have a purpose. 
But yeah. some of those things were just left there. And, yeah. you know, I remember uh, watching years ago, and I think it was 2011 or 2012 in DEF CON, I watched a talk about um, a series of vulnerabilities in uh, one of the big, um, uh, what's, what's their name? A big Chinese uh, router vendor. I, for, I forgot the name of the vendor. Um, Pepwave. Sorry? Pepwave. No, it was, uh, oh, it was Huawei. Oh, I'm going to forget. I think I'm pretty sure it was Huawei. And that was, again, that was like 10 years ago. And, um, and the, the person on the stage um, was showing, I think like 12 or 13 um, uh, remote code execution um, vulnerabilities. Yeah. And at the Q and a stage, you know, after his talk, some guy at the audience said, um, <laughs> did you find, did you find any back doors? And the guy says, like, who needs a back door when you have 12 different Yeah, the front door is open. <laughs> so, you know, it's 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 a trick question. I, I often I because I often get asked that. Do you think it's why why are those things in there? And honestly, huh. I don't have I don't have an answer for it, but I sure. also don't think it matters because yeah. Yeah. the 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 um, in the grand scheme of things, it leaves the users um um with with, with an insecure device. And the users don't even know that those things are in there. But all it takes is one security researcher to find to find those uh, to find those backdoors, vulnerabilities, call them whatever you want, and yeah. then you have another um, and then you have another um, uh, botnet. And that thing actually happened to me back in 2017. Um, uh, myself and, and a good friend of mine, uh, we found uh, two very critical vulnerabilities in a series of of uh, security cameras. Um, and it was a generic, it was a generic, uh, security camera that's being manufactured by a vendor in China. And, you know, they, 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 uh, they, they make millions of those cameras and they slap different stickers on them of different yeah. vendors and they sell them. But those two vulnerabilities, uh, one of them that I actually have tattooed on my arm, um, <laughs> those vulnerabilities, um, um, exist in all of those cameras. So yeah. we ended up, we ended up after a research, we ended up um, uh, looking for looking at Shodan, and, and we found like we we managed to craft a very specific query to see how many of those cameras we can find around the world. Yeah, and uh, we found over uh, nine hundred thousand of them, wow. and on, and on all of those uh, cameras, we not only did we could log in and and see whatever it is that they're recording. You know, who cares about that? Right. We actually had the ability to um, um, have remote code execution capabilities on those devices so we could create a botnet or whatever so yeah. after after we published our paper and no and since the since the 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 chinese vendor completely ignored my emails when i tried to disclose the vulnerability to them i had to disclose it publicly yes um i think two or three days after that there was a new botnet i think it was called the percy Rye botnet that was exploiting our vulnerabilities and 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 you know, those were used to create a new botnet that did all sorts of nasty things like distributed yeah. denial of service attacks and, and those kind of things. So, you know, connecting back to what I said in the beginning, and, and, and you mentioned it too, there is no standardization for security on those devices. You're right. Um, if uh, with IoT devices, most of them, not all of them, but most of them, um, the user has to chase patches constantly. Yes. And, and, in most, not all, most devices, 
once they're out in the market, they have a lifespan of a year and then there's no more patches. Yeah, so you can't continuously keep updating and making sure that they stay where they should as far as security posture goes. Exactly. So this is where our approach comes comes in, where we say you don't need to chase patches anymore because those devices have a finite amount of memory vulnerabilities or, or let's say, behaviors when memory vulnerabilities are being exploited. Yeah. And we catch those and stop them as they happen. Yeah, it sounds like a great... I don't know. It, it just seems like why hasn't it been done? But I, it certainly looks like they've got really good traction on something that needs to be put in place that will definitely help secure, hopefully relieve stress out of uh, everyone's day because of all the devices, you know, we pick up. There is a worry. It's, I'm sure there's a small worry about, uh, like with my TV, uh, I've got people asking to connect wirelessly. I'm like, where the heck did this come from? Um, so I mean. We integrate or we we deal with these types of devices and interface with them every day. So Sterum sounds like they've got you know pretty good traction on a, a method that will help easily support maintaining security uh, on devices that we use every day. So it was great talking with you, Amit. Um, it, you've got some really good research going on, and it sounds it sounds fascinating. I mean. Sounds like uh, you, you really do like your job. I like your job too. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, we're actually, um, 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 my teammate and I, we just drafted a really long research project when we looked into a fairly prevalent um, smart um, electrical outlet. Yeah. So that you, when you can, one of those things where you can control your lamp with your phone or sure, yeah. your yeah. home. Remote access to your lights. Yeah, and uh, we actually um, um, did a really uh, cool project where we took one of those devices, tore them apart, reverse engineered the hardware and the firmware, and got some uh, vulnerabilities on them. Okay. Uh, we started the we started to write the blog post today, and hopefully within a couple of weeks we we're going to have it up in our blog. And it's uh, something very interesting that I'm very proud of, and I'm uh, I can't wait to, sh to share it with the rest of the world. Yeah, yeah, it sounds we need it. We appreciate the things you do. So we're working on it. We try. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Uh, Got to close out now. So um, um, actually, I'm trying to think, but I guess that's it. Um, anyway, so this is our edition. This is the end of our edition for uh, New Cyber Frontier. We hope you enjoyed the talk we had with Amit and uh, conducting cyber uh, security research. Uh, sounds really fascinating, and hopefully we'll have Mint back on later. Uh, is there anything, anything you want to say, Mint? Uh, where, where's your blog? Do you have that publicly? Um, so um, when I when I meant the blog, I meant the company, the company oh, blog. Gotcha. So okay. um, sternumiot.com is our website. Awesome. Um, but if you want to follow me individually, I'm on uh, I'm on Mastodon. So infosec.exchange slash zero x a m i t. Awesome. Thanks, man. All right. That's it for our edition this time. Uh, thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next round. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of New Cyber Frontier. Remember to get involved. Often we think that someone else will handle privacy and security in the virtual world, but you are the only one truly in command of your virtual fate. Join our mailing list so we can keep you informed of breaking news and new releases. If you have an idea, 
If you have a question that you would like to hear answered, or if you want to get involved with our efforts, reach out to us at newcyberfrontier.com. We also encourage you to visit our sponsors' links as they are the ones that really make this show possible. I want to thank each of you for supporting the show, and we look forward to seeing you back for the next episode of New Cyber Frontier.